Hello and welcome back to Scarves Around the Funnel, the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club. I am Laurie Dunsire, joined once again by Mark Donaldson. Hello, how are you? Very well. Um, no, no hearts game at the weekend to either <laughs> enthrall us or um, depress us. So I'm, I'm neutral. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we didn't lose, but we didn't win. But we kept another clean sheet. So Craig Gordon will be claiming that. That's him now. Goodness knows how many in a row. Uh, close season. So we're looking at things to do over the summer before the new season begins with Hearts in the top flight. And I thought it was only pertinent, given the fact he was on last July, I think it was, uh, looking ahead to the season in the championship. And he said at the time on the podcast that he'd be happy to come on at the end of the season, which Robbie Nielsen is today. So it's not going to be all happy clapping. Um, we will decide as we go along who's going to ask the hard questions and who's going to ask the easy questions. Um, and we'll see how we get on. Indeed, we will have Heart of Midlothian's head coach, manager, um, Robbie Nielsen, on in just a few moments. And uh, yeah, that's that's all the real focus we need this week, I think. So as promised, our special guest this week is the Heart of Midlothian. Are you manager? Are you head coach? What are you, Robbie Nielsen? I think I'm head coach, to be honest with you, Mark. Okay. Uh, much the same thing, to be honest with you. I've been manager, head coach. It's all much the same. So I think I'm, yeah, I think I'm head coach at Hearts at the moment. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, what are you up to since the the season closed? Because I know that we've tried to organise this a, a couple of times, and you've had this university project that you've been trying to hand in. Is it done yet? And no cheating? Yeah. Well, I, I we finished up a week ago on Friday, and I spent all last weekend at the ground. I saw in at the training ground just try to get things planned for next year and sort of get moving with some recruitment and things like that. So did that, and then I had a I'm doing a uni course at the moment, a master's degree, so I had a later, I've actually got two late assignments I have to hand in. I managed to get one in last night and then hopefully spend the next week to 10 days doing the next one. And then after that, we move on to the dissertation, mate. So, <laughs> yeah, busy, busy year. So have you asked the fourth official for added time um, to, to hand it in? I have, mate. I've actually I've got copied and pasted into the exceptional crackers, mate, so I can go straight into that. Yeah. Uh, it's been it's been good. It's good. It's uh, it's your comfort zone, that's for sure. But it's been consuming at times as well. So Laurie and I have done a deal. Um, I'm I'm on the softball questions, and he's on he's done the tough ones. So Laurie, you, yeah, usual. You can start, son. On you go. Well, I'm gonna. Well, we're not gonna start with those. Um, I, no, <laughs> no, no. I mean, you you obviously returned to Hearts last June, so almost a year you've been back now. You you came on with us uh, mid July previously to have a chat 10 months on from from that chat that we had before what would you say is the the most significant progress or or improvement that's happened at the club do you feel in that time I think we when I, when I came in in the summer or last summer sorry I knew that the way the squad was first of all we had to really get the numbers down you know we came into a first team squad that was 30 kind of senior players which is like miles too big for any any football club so initially we had to get the squad down as much as we could I think we got it down to about 24 but we'll try to get it down lower again and as we in every window you get into you, you have ideas of what you want to do and very rarely does it work out exactly like that so the main objective was to win, win the league but get to this summer when we knew that you know, more of the squad was coming out of contract we'd be able to get a bit more manoeuvring within the squad 
to try and have a, a, a go at getting a sell rate up near the top end of the, the Premiership. So first year was there was although there was some a few lows in it, the main objective for us was to get promoted. And I knew the first year was going to be difficult. I knew it was going to be up and down because there wasn't a lot of wiggle room in the squad when we first came in, you know, other than moving a few of the senior ones out. Even then we weren't sure if we'd be able to move all of them out to make sure that we could get a bit of youth into the team and a bit of energy. So, like I said earlier, you know, oldest team in the Championship we were last season, which, you know, for any Hearts team shouldn't be the case, no matter what league you're in. So we know that coming out of this season, it gives us a chance to, with the way the contracts were falling, guys coming out of contract this summer, allows us to kind of refresh the squad and try to move things forward. You've, you've just forced me to jump a few questions ahead by um, mentioning the age, because... We had a wee look at this. We were we were chatting to to Davy Allen, who does London Hearts, and is obviously the man for stats when it comes to Hearts. So I mean, you are um, twenty four point four was the average age when you won the championship for Hearts first time around. Um, third youngest Hearts team in a season since nineteen seventy eight, but this season the average age, which I'm sure you know, is twenty eight point seven five. So the oldest Hearts team over the season in a quarter of a century and actually the second oldest ever recorded which is dating back to 47 when we actually had the averages start from I think it was 94 95 was the only older one mm-hmm. um so you're aware of that what why was that was uh, is there a reason that there, there there wasn't an opportunity for younger players or we felt that well the squad inherited was you know an older squad I think that to be honest, I think it comes from, you know, a change of manager at times. A lot of the time, when managers change. They initially they want, you know, instant success, so they'll, they'll look to more senior players to come in, you know, to give them that because younger players need time to bed into the team. So, you know, I think the squad inherited had quite an older squad, more experienced squad, which at times has its benefits, but also you want young youth and energy in the team. You want guys that are you know, want to progress with the club and move forward. So we had to try and get that. But also we had, in the background, we had to win every single game last season. You know, that was, that was at the start of the season, that was the objective, that was the pressure. And as we also knew that we had to win the league. You know, we couldn't, you know, not get promoted this year. We had to win the league. So then you look at guys who have been in the league before, who have maybe progressed out of the league before, or have that experience to get you there. And again, when, you, when we recruit... We look at guys that can get us out of the league and then maybe the following season might not be starters. They might be number threes or number fours within that, which then allows you maybe to get some of the younger ones in. We felt that coming in that the younger guys you know, hadn't played a lot of games. You know, when we look at some of the ones we had, I had at Dundee United, you know, like Sir, the Mockries, um, the Glass, even your Banks and extended, played 30, 40, 50 games before he chucked them in. But a lot of the younger ones at Hearts just hadn't hadn't been on loan, had maybe only played, you know, a handful of games. So we felt the, the better progression for them was to go out on loan and get that experience so that they come back and they're ready to kick into the first team. So we knew that two sides of it, an aging squad that we had, that we had to deal with, had to win the league, and then the younger ones needed more game experience before they could come in. In hindsight, which is um, a terrible as well as a great thing it puts at some points. Do you think, looking back, do you think that younger players maybe could have been used ahead of some that 
didn't perform it. We wouldn't expect you to name any names or anything, but if you could do it again, do you think there might have been opportunities there that someone could have come in and, and done a as good a job as some of the players that you've had over the season? Or Potentially, when you look back at it, you know, maybe, but at the time you, you have a squad, you have to manage a squad. You know, you have to look at it and go, right, I've got a, a, an older squad. I've got, a, as we said, one of the oldest squads in the, the history of Hearts. So you have to manage it. So you have to make sure that you keep the older ones on side. You have to give them opportunities to go and do that. And then when you do that, you then make a decision to go and put the younger ones out on loan to get the experience. You know, towards, like in, in January, for instance, we could have kept a Harry Stone running about the squad and maybe given them one or two games towards the end of the season. You know, and, and you, know, you then go, right, well, these guys are coming through, we're doing this. But the better thing for Harry was to put him on loan initially to Spartans and then to Stirling out to Albion Rovers. So now Harry, instead of staying with the first team squad and getting you know one or two games with the first team, there's now going to come into pre-season having had 20, 25 games. So you can look at the short term and go, right, we want these guys, get them, give them a game here and a game there because it might look good that we're putting these young ones in, but ultimately it's about developing them. And the development comes by playing you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 games at first team level. Then when they do come out of the Hearts first team, they're ready to stay there. So, you know, we had to take the choice of, do we keep them here and they get two games or do we put them out and give them 25 games? And that's what we chose to do. And hopefully we'll see in the long run the benefit of that. You know, it's a Connor Smith, Cammy Logan, uh, um, Derek Cove, guys like that that are getting game time. So, you know, it's, it, it, times you can, it can be easy to say, oh, these guys should come and play that game or should play that game. But it's about developing them as players. And that development, I believe, comes from going and playing first-team football consistently over the course of a period of, you know, six months to a year. Then they're ready to come in with us. And um, obviously, if you hadn't signed Craig Gordon, you would have had the youngest Hearts team in history. So there's always that. <laughs> Look, I think I do believe that you know we want a young, a young, energetic team, but you also have to have the stability and the experience of seeing the players within that. But I think you know Hearts last season it was the flip side where we probably had too much experience and too much, too many more senior players. And we didn't have that young, energetic player that we need. So hopefully in the, in the summer, you know, the, the idea is to try and recruit below a certain age that will give us that that youthfulness. But also what it does, it gives you a, it gives you assets within the team. You know, you have to develop these young ones because they then become assets for the club. So that's the plan in the summer is to try and recruit under a certain age. Rob, what mark out of ten would you give parts for the season just passed? Is that over the whole season? I can do it game by game, Mark. I would say. No, no, we've only got like an hour and a bit, son. So just um, if, you're just... The, if you're talking about the league campaign, seven, seven or an eight, because ultimately we won the, the league by I don't know twelve points or something, like that, and that was objective at the start of the season. The cup games were were miles off it, and that's an area we need to improve in definitely. But as for the league campaign, you know, I, I, I've been in the, the championship. I won it three times. I know what it's like. It, you know, it's totally unrealistic to go and win every single game and dominate every single game, no matter what team you are. So I was pleased with the championship league campaign, disappointed with the Cups. That's for sure. 
What's the thing that you're most proud of from last season and what's the thing you regret the most? Most proud of would be the resilience the team showed because there was a lot of external pressure from everyone. You know, whenever we dropped points or even lost a game, you know, externally there was, there was a lot of noise, you know, there was a lot of negativity towards the team and it can be easy. We've all seen it in the past when teams spiral off the back of a bad result, you know, and the team managed to stay together. The team managed to continue to progress and, and finish the season very, very well. And I think we won the, the last four or five games, what it is, and, and it gives us that boost again into the summer. The regrets are obviously the cup games, you know, the real disappointment, real, you know, the Arlo game away from home, really disappointing. And then obviously the Barora one was a massive blow for us all. But, you know, sometimes you need to take it on the chin as a, as a coaching staff and as a group. and try and learn from it and make sure it doesn't happen again. Brings me perfectly to my next question. What was the biggest thing you learned personally from last season that can maybe help you going into the, the top flight campaign? I think you learn resilience and football management is the most important thing. You know, the way football is nowadays, you know, it can be, especially social media, it's a very negative area at times. So you have to be very resilient and you have to believe in your players and believe in the team and continue to show that and realise that There'll be there'll be ups and downs throughout a season, but if you keep that consistency, then the players believe in you as well, and that's the most important thing. So for me, just resilience. You know, you're going to have bad days. It's football. You know, that's that's the way it is. You know, if, remember a long time ago, there was a manager came and speak to spoke to us with the pro license, and he said and it was very true. He said, "You, as a coach or a manager, you, you know, everyone will win a third of the games." Everyone will lose a third of their games. It's what you do with a third that counts. So you're going into it and you're going, you're going to lose a third of your games as a, as a manager. So you have to be able to deal with with, with losing. That's, that's part of the game. You know, and you see a lot of managers that, that lose a couple of games and you know they, they lose the plot. They start losing the head of the team all over the place. Managers nowadays, you have to be resilient. So for me, there's, there's some real difficult periods in the season, but had to maintain that resilience and keep going, keep believing in what we're doing, keep believing in the players and, and it turns and we managed to do that towards the end of the season. Looking back at the, um, obviously the Brora defeat, uh, you mentioned after the game, the need to the need to get back into training, get back at it and uh, um, you said, we need to win on Saturday and win the league. We'll remind them about this regularly to make sure standards are better and this does not happen again. Um Obviously, on the Saturday, four days later, 22 minutes in, Hearts were 2-0 down to Queen of the South. Did did you feel the reaction was was adequate? Was Were you disappointed that the way the team started the next game, having come off of um, obviously what was such a poor result? Yeah, obviously, we're all disappointed in that. But again, it's, in football, you can prepare all you want and you can talk all you want. It's when you get the pitch. You have to go and put it on, you know. And we, you know, when you look at the the first goal we lost, we spoke before the game about, you know, making sure we settle into the game, making sure we stay calm, and we we gave the ball away after I think we were like ninety seconds, and the boy passed it through, and he scores, you know. And then we lose another goal after twenty minutes. But to be credit to the players, but they, they they fought back and got back to two two, and we looked at we were going to go and win the game, and then fifteen minutes to go, ball comes in, and we score our own goal. So, again, it's a test of resilience for everyone. You know, it's one of them. You, do, you, do you come in and you, you lose the plot and you go mental or do you take a step back and go, right, 
what's the best thing we can do to make sure in the next game we give the players the best chance to perform and take them and get a result. And when I look back on it, obviously massively disappointed with the two results, but please, by the way, the coaching staff and the players kept the resilience, kept the head and made sure we went on to win and win and win and get over it. I mean, do you understand, I suppose, from, from a fan point of view, you know, losing to Aloha for the first time in our history, Brora was the first time we'd lost a non-league, I think it was over a century, and the fans obviously were angry, and, you know, we've seen Brora have lost 6-1 to Kelty in, in their playoff just now. I mean, do you understand, basically, you know, why the fans were, you know, certainly some took things too far, but I think there was obviously a lot of, justifiable anger as well as as well as that stuff I mean do you understand why the fans felt that way 100% you know because I totally understand that I've been at Hartsburg a long, long time you know the performances in those two games especially the Bora game were unacceptable for us but my job is to get the players ready for the next game as well you know so you have that massive frustration and the anger and you know we spoke for a long long time after the game you know and the days after it as well to try and make sure that we got the boys going again. We got them focused again, and we moved forward. So, but yeah, I totally understand it—the frustration of it all and the anger as well, because you know it's two games that we were expected to win, and we all expected to win it. We went up there prepared to go and win it, and it didn't happen. So, you know, you have to take the flight, but you also have to keep that anger inside you at times. You know, as a manager, because it can be easy to lose the plot. As a manager, you know, I've seen loads of managers do it over my time as, as a player and as a manager beside them as well. And, you know, there's times when you can do it, but there's also times when you have to think about players and you have to think about the football club as well and going, right, what do we need to do in this moment? This is a, a crisis moment. What do we need to do? And make the right decision for it. I look back on it. Did we make the right decision? Time will tell. In terms of the cups, you know the way they've both panned out. I mean, do you feel a frustration in in some ways about that as well? We you know we've seen Rangers and Celtic um, not making the semi finals in either cup, and St Johnson obviously have won one. They might win two, and you know, God forbid Hibs might win one of them. But they're they're in with a good chance at this point. Is that frustrating as a, a manager as well, or as someone involved in the team that that can be seen as a an opportunity missed? I know that the draws wouldn't all necessarily be the same, but does that does that maybe irk you a little bit as well? Every, every season we get, when I've been a manager, you, you, you come out of a cup competition. It irks you massively because you see the game's progression. You go, oh, if we'd done that, we'd beat them, we'd have beat them, we'd have beat them. So every year's the same. You know, I, was, I, I go into every cup competition expecting to win it. You know, it was one of the things that when I went to see the MK, they went to the FA Cup and the, the chairman didn't expect to win it, you know, and probably rightly so because we're a League One team, but I just couldn't get my head around that. I'm going, when we get in a cup, I expect to win it. And that's what we're aiming to do. And it's the same every year, the, the Cups in Scotland. And whenever you get put, you're always in the back of your mind, you're going, you know, you see the next draw and you see the next games and you go, we should win that, we should win that, we should be doing it. So that never changes for, it, for myself anyway. Rob, let's go on to signing targets for for next season. Um, are you planning to bring certain players in to fit a certain system, or are you looking to bring in the best available within your price range, of course, and then kind of sit down with your coaching staff and decide which system best fits? 
No, we're, we're looking to recruit players that will fit within the system we want to play. So we've already discussed that with the staff and what we think's the best system to play in the chat in the Premier League. And is that is that a system you already have in mind? Because I remember when we spoke last July, I think it was, you were talking about having a certain system for, for the championship. So do you know already, even before you've brought anybody in, the system that you're going to be playing in the Premier League? Yeah, look, we know there's going to be two systems that we'll play in the Premier League, two different shapes, and that's what we'll work on. And we'll recruit the players that we think that we want to fit into that system. I think it's really important that we, we have a, a group, a good core group of players at the moment. And we believe that this system will suit them the best. The championship is totally different from the, the Premiership when you're playing it. You know, the championship, you have to be a, a bit more adaptive to the games that you're going to play because the opposition don't really have a style of play in the championship. You know, it's very much a transitional game, direct knockdowns, setting balls, set plays. Whereas when you get into the, the Premiership, you know, most of the teams will have a style of player that they, they kind of quite consistent to. You know, when you look at Rangers will play their general 4-3-3-4-2-3-1. You know, your, your Motherwells, your St. Johnson's are playing 3-5-2. Hibs are playing 4-4-2 at times, 3-5-2 when they slide into it. So you kind of know what these teams are going to play. So it gives you a chance to be a bit more consistent in your play. But when you play in the Championship, it's very much like, you know, you'll set up how you want to play. And then when you get to these grounds, you're going, right, this game is different from what we expected because the opposition, are, you know, they're, they're banging it. You know, the pitch is terrible. You know, they're playing for set plays. So it makes it, you have to be a bit more adaptive to how you mm. change your team within the games. So, yeah, we're going back to it. We, we'll have two systems we'll play. We're going to try and recruit to that as well and get the best players we can within that system. So are these signing targets players that are going to have a sell-on value or is there still room for maybe one or two experienced pros in addition to, to what you've got to help you in the dressing room or do you think you've got enough and it's all about players with a sell-on value that you're going to bring in? Well, we'd like to get the, obviously the average age of the squad in. So by doing that, we look to get guys you know below the age of 26 that we believe will have sell-on value within the club. You know, But also we have the younger ones that we're hoping to promote through that will have that sell-on, I think. You know, ultimately, the, the market we're in, you know, we're not going out and buying people, you know. So we have to look and say, right, this is how we want to play. This is the type of player we want to get in. This is the, the age group or age bracket we're looking to get them in. And this is the quality we want to get as well. And we'd like to tick all of these boxes. But at times you have to go, right, what's the most important one, right? It's this, this, this and this. Maybe, maybe we need to miss out in that bracket. So there's a lot of areas that we try to get to tick the box in, but sometimes a player will come up and go, right, maybe that's no, he doesn't take that one, but ticks the rest of them for us. It's always it's always a difficult period, this, about getting the right players in, because recruitment's the hardest thing in football, to be honest with you, you know, like, because until you bring a player into the environment, you can do all the checks you want, you know, you can watch them live four or five times, you can watch all their games, seven, eight games, you can speak to people, you know, that gives them a character reference, you can speak to managers that have had them, players that have played beside them, you can speak to the player as well and get a conversation with them. But until you bring them into the atmosphere of the group and the atmosphere of the stadium, there's always that gamble in the background when you have it because you can be taking a guy who's used to playing in front of 2,500 fans and then put him in front of 20,000 fans at Tynecastle and the pressure on it. And you don't know until they're in that moment 
if they can handle that pressure. And that's that's always a difficult one. You bring players into a bigger club, can they handle that pressure? I'm going to quote something you said in January. So um, you said, um, this is, I think we're talking about recruitment in, in a, an article for the the evening news. Um, I think it's important that we build a team here, a team that excites people when they come to Tynecastle. I always believe Hart should have two good fullbacks who get forward, two strong centre halves. You should have a ball winner and a ball player in the middle of the park, uh, two wide players to run at opponents and deliver crosses. So um, a- apart from talking about the team you played in in 05-06, which is what immediately sprung to mind when I read that, is is that still the aim? Is that what Hearts fans can can expect as the as you build this team going into next season? I still believe that. You know, I still believe that that's the way Hearts should play. I feel we bit like last season we recruited in, in areas and we didn't didn't hit the mark where we wanted to get them to. You know, whether that be from lack of fitness, injury, or lack of form. So we had to adapt things. You know, within the season, that's a job at head coach. You know, when you decide at the start of the season, I'm going to play this way, and you recruit for it, and maybe one or two players come in, they don't, they don't hit the mark that you would like them to get to, and the team's not functioning the way you would like it, then you have to alter things. And once you're once the window's shut, you have to deal with the players that you've got. So then you change the system a little bit, change the style of play, because ultimately it's about winning football matches. You know, we would like to win it by winning. 6-0 and scoring six goals like we did a few times during the season but at times you have to adapt the team to win 1-0 or 2-1 and that's just the way it is so you know we have a plan about what we want to do the two systems two different systems and we'll recruit in it but throughout the season if we have injury or loss of form in certain areas then you have to be able to adapt as well How how big a part does that you know exciting the fans um, come into things you know whether it's you and your coaching staff, whether it's Anne talking to you about targets and and kind of expectations, as part of that too. And I know what you say. You're you're quite right. You can never play. Um, you can never play exciting football every week. You, you, sometimes it's just not possible, and some games will be different than others. But is that still part of, I guess, the the ethos, the expectation that there will be an aim to do that at least where possible? Ultimately, I need to stand on the sideline and watch it. So I want to watch entertaining football and shots at goal and crosses. You know, I think that's the thing I was trying to get back to. You know, I want to watch games and be excited about them. I want us to be getting forward, you know, crosses, shots at goal, hemming teams in. And that's what we, we try to do. And look, you know, there was games this season where we did it very, very well, really well. And there was other times this season where not as well or not at all. I do think that, you know, not having fans at the game certainly restricted us and hindered us, especially at home. You know, there was a couple of games this season, I think. We played Morton at home and it ended up 1-1. After 10 minutes, 15 minutes, we had had about six or seven shots on goal. If that was a 20,000 crowd at Tynecastle, they'd have roared us on. But the game went flat because we didn't get the goal. I think, you know, they started time-wasting. It kills the game. The game goes flat and it becomes a different type of game. So their job is to entertain fans and get the energy from the stand as well but at times the players feed off that energy as well it's one of the big things I experienced about playing at Tynecastle and managing at Tynecastle is that both sets the fans and the players push each other on you know the players trigger it off and the fans push it through and we didn't have that this season you know and it made it at times difficult you know you would 
you know, there was one game this season where, you know, we played against a team who played a back three against us and, you know, the stats after the game, none of the centre-halves, the three centre-halves passed the ball to each other once and not one of them passed it to the defensive midfield player of the team. So, teams are, you know, banging the ball along, making the game difficult. There's another game where the ball was only in play for 38 minutes of the game. So, although you want to go, right, we're going to do this and we're going to do that, sometimes the game doesn't allow you to do that and you need to find other ways of winning. You're right with the fans in in some ways, but it can be a double-edged sword with with fans, especially in recent years at Tynecastle, where I think, think, yeah. I think the pressure the fans put on drives people on as well. So part of the reason players perform at Tynecastle, the good players at Tynecastle, is because they can handle that pressure. And it's the pressure that drives one. Some players need that. Some players need the adulation of the fans, but some players need the pressure of the fans as well to perform. So yes, you can you know, go into a stadium and at times there's that anxiety of push, 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 but players breathe off that as well, I'm telling you. you know, a lot of people say, oh, they need the, the fans need to be cheering all the time. This, you just need the fans there to put the pressure. And the pressure at times can be a joyous pressure where it's the cheering and the pushing on, but also at times it can be the pressure of you have to perform. You're playing at Hearts in front of 20,000 people. You need to perform. And that's for me is the, the beauty of being at Tynecastle. You know, and the beauty when you see some players come, and you know, we've all seen them, you know, these players that come and they can handle the pressure, they can handle the expectation levels. And then we've seen them, you know, you guys have been fans for your whole life. You see the players that come with a reputation and this, and they can't handle the pressure, and they can't handle that energy that's needed and the, you know, the intensity. And that's the joy of Tynecastle, and that's where. I think both sides it drive people well. You'll you'll always have some fans that will be will have one opinion and they won't change it. Um, there was very much, I, I suppose, a big feeling against the team and maybe a feeling against yourself. And you know, we have to confess on our shows in the back in the wake of some of the results, we were very critical of both you and the team. Do you think you can get a lot of the fans on board? Not to say that you'll ever, you'll ever get everyone on board, everyone on board, because I don't think that's possible for for many managers, but. Do you feel like you can get the majority of the Hearts fans behind you and the team next season? You can sit and talk and go, we're going to do this, and we're going to do that, we're going to do this with the players, we're going to do that with the team. With that. It's about winning football matches. That's football management. That's football as a head coach. So my job is to get the team winning. That's what I need to do. You know, when the team wins, the energy comes, the club comes together, the players come together, everyone pushes forward, we're going in top end of the league, we're winning games, we're winning derbies, we're winning cups getting to Hamden. You know, that's you know, so far. You can sit and talk and say, we'll do this and we'll recruit that and we'll do all this kind of stuff. It doesn't matter. It's about winning football matches and that's what I need to do. And you know that. You know that as a player, you know that as a coach, you know that as a head coach. That's what, what you have to do and that's what we need to do next season. How important is the, the feeling of the of the fans? Do you feel in, in in these matters, and it's you know, I guess when it comes to what happens on the park, that's massively important. You know, the, you want to come into Tyne Castle, a place to be rocking. You know, we've seen it before, and like we've had a, we've won a championship, but we've had difficult periods. But I've been at Hearts long enough to know that these difficult periods, you know, you turn them, you turn them, and you get going, and you get moving forward, and then it starts to rock again, and it starts to get going again. 
And again, it goes back to that resilience of going, look, we've had a wee difficult period. It's about getting through it. It's about believing in what we're doing and keep moving forward and winning games. And that's what you have to do. You know, there's always going to be, you know, when you're at a big club, if you lose a game, it's going to be negativity. That's the way it is. You know, and if you lose a couple of games, there's going to be even more than that negativity. And you have to be resilient enough to go, right, take it. It's the reason we're at a big club. We take it on our shoulders. We take the pressure. Can you handle the pressure? Can you focus on what you need to do? Can you get a performance on and win the game? And then win the next game. And then win the next game. And that's what that's what playing at Hearts and playing at a big club is all about. You know, but when you, you see players over the years, I've seen them all, you know, every player, when you put them on a training pitch, 10 yards from a mini goal that's a metre apart, a metre wide, and you say to them, I want you to pass the ball into that goal from 10 metres away, 10 times. And almost every professional football player will be able to do it. 10 times will put it in. You put them in front of 60,000, it's a different story, you know. So that's part and parcel of playing at Hearts and being a manager at Hearts. You have to be able to handle that pressure. And in my opinion, pressure's good. Pressure gets the best out of people. Rob, I want to change tact slightly, but to an important thing. We we had um, the, the social media blackout a couple of weeks ago uh, because of abuse and everything like that, that happens on on social media. I, I think a lot of people would be lying if they said they hadn't been affected by mental health or various other issues during the pandemic because we'd never been through it. Do you or are you able to switch off easy? Are you able to be dad? To your girls and obviously when the time requires it be the head coach be the football manager but switching off as well is crucial can you do that yeah i think it's it's something that I, I need to get better at to be honest with you. you know i think i don't have any social media i don't you know i'm I don't, I'm not interested in it one thing the only negative of that is that sometimes it takes you a while to find out about what's going on you know but i just think that you know it's there's a lot of negativity on it you know, I think it's just a human thing, and you know, it's a human nature that you know people will go on and put things on to be negative. You know, or people won't go on to be positive. It's just the way it seems to have formed within there. And you know, from my own perspective, you know, I'm in my forties now. You know, so I didn't grow up with social media, so I'm quite happy not to interact with it. The biggest issue we have nowadays is with the younger players, who this is the, you know social media is their life. It's easy for us to go. Oh, don't don't go on it. I don't read it. But it's the way they all communicate. You know, it's the way they all they all interact with each other. So it's these these are the ones that we have to try and protect and try and help through this. And I do think that you know, I know going off track a wee bit, but this generation just now, this this teenage generation, it's they're going to be the most affected by this because at the moment there's there's very little filters to what people are seeing. You know, getting bombarded. These algorithms that are bombarding people with everything, you know, things they don't want to see, things they do want to see. I think in you know the coming years, things will change where they're not getting bombarded with the same amount of you know nonsense and over information. So these are the ones we need to try and help. We've had we've had players in the club that are really suffering through this period, like finding it really really difficult, and people don't understand that at times. You know, and I know. People say, or oh, football players, or this and that, but they're, they're human beings. You know, they are, they are suffering like everyone is, you know, through this mm. pandemic, but also, you know, through this social media, the negativity that's on it as well. So, 
these are the ones we need to protect. And I have some of the guys, some of them off it sometimes, you know, and you try to help them through it. And, you know, I, I don't know all these sites. I don't know them, you know, they're on, God almighty, you get Twitter, I don't even know them, you know, Snapchat, TikTok, all these things are up there. <laughs> you know, and, and I can't say to them, you know, just don't go on it. You know, because that's just not a way. That's not the way life is nowadays for the for the younger generation. But it's trying to help them understand that you know, it's, at times it's not doing them any good at all. It's it's something that, that I think needs to change. But will it change? Pfft. I don't know. You know, it's too much too much money in it now for these big companies to. I don't think they want to change it. I mean, I suppose to get your message across, you could just hire a plane. <laughs> <laughs> old-fashioned way, huh? <laughs> If you're not on social media and there's no fans in the stands, what is it that allows you to judge the feeling of, of, of supporters? So obviously speak to people, meet people, you know, you, you get the media when you're speaking to the media. And then I know myself, but I'm a Hearts fan, you know. I've been with the club since I was 16, so I'm a Hearts fan. I, I see the, the performances at times and I go, it needs to be better, you know, it needs to be this. So I need to try and do this. But also... I see the positives within the group at times, you know. You know, I see the good performances, and you know, as a coach, that's you, you want to bring. Firstly, you want to bring joy to the players and joy to the fans. That's what you want to do. You want to entertain. And you know, as a Hearts fan, I, and I, you know when it's not right, and you know when it is right. And I'm just desperate to get the fans back in again because mm. I think when the fans come back in, you speak to any other player, you know, in Scottish football, and you ask them, "Where's the best place?" Best atmosphere in Scottish football. I'm telling you, they all say Tynecastle. Nobody says Parkhead. Nobody says Ibrooks. Nobody says anywhere else. It's Tynecastle. That's the best atmosphere they won't play. And we need to get it back, and hopefully we get it back soon. Well, it can be the best atmosphere. We've all experienced that, and it can be the worst atmosphere. And as you said earlier, part of of when you bring in players isn't just about how good is that player. It's it's can he handle um, the pressure. Of, of playing at Hearts. And there'll be a lot of fans that, I mean, look, every fan's desperate to get back to Tyne Castle. Some of them will come back and they have made their mind up about you. How do you appease them? By winning football matches. Simple. That's what it is. You know, that's, that's the nature of football. Win football matches. That's what you have to do. You know, you, you, you tell me that, you know, a manager at any football club and they play really good football Right, and get beat six 0 every week. How long did it last? No, you know, and that's that's it. You know, you put a manager that wins every week. How long did it last? They keep going, you know. So it's 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 combining the two is the most important thing. The winning and the entertainment. That's the most important thing as a manager. So you have to do it, and your job is to find a way to do it. And there'll be times when you know you go through periods of the season where. It's not quite clicking at times. And we can all feel it and we can see it. And your job as a manager is to try and change things to make it click. That's what you have to do. We're not a level where you can go and spend £50 million on a player and go, right, it's not working, let's go and do this. You have to find a way of doing it. And that's, that's the level of Scottish football out with the old firm. And you have to find ways. So yeah, the, the ultimately, win football matches. That's what you need to do. Win football matches, entertain. You do the two of them, you know, we're on to a winner. Everyone's entitled to, to an opinion because the world would be very boring without that. Um, there'll be those that are happy, those that are unhappy. The, the, the bottom line is, I mean, they're, they're hopefully going to come back 
to the football club and um and and cheer for for victories and and they're going to be frustrated when when we don't win that that's part and parcel but the key thing and something we've spoken about a lot on the podcast is we make our minds up based on what we read and what we hear from your post game things and everything like that there's so much that we don't see that happens and my dad used to be a detective inspector in the police and i said to him how much of what the public hears is what's actually happened and he said probably about 10 percent so in that instance, there's 90% of stuff that the public, it's a need-to-know basis. So we probably know as fans, I don't know, 15 to, to 20% of what actually goes on behind the scenes because we're not there. You are. You've seen training and everything like that. So we don't know what the relationship's like between you and Joe Savage right now. Talk to me a little bit about that. How's that going to work when it comes to bringing new players in? Joe's been great from day one. You know, I, I said previously, you know, I, when I went down to AMK, I, I was doing everything. You know, I was doing taking the team, coaching the team, managing the team, doing all the recruitment, overseeing the academy. And it's too much nowadays for a manager. You need somebody to come in and support and do the things that, that allow you to go and fo- focus on the first team. But then obviously Joe's got an experienced background from recruitment down in England, you know, at Norwich and at Preston. So you know, the way it works at the moment, I'll, I'll tell Joe, this is the type of player I'm looking for. This is the position I'm looking for. These are the specifics within that. So this is it. Joe then go with the scouting department and go and try and source six or seven of these players. And then he'll bring it to me. I'll look at them and I'll go, right, there's your number one target. There's number two. There's number three. And it's up to Joe then to go and speak to the agents or potentially the clubs that they're with to see if they can get a deal done and then negotiate on the contract. So that allows me you know, to pick the player that's to come in. But then focus on what we ultimately need to do is to win on a Saturday. You know, so it's been working really well at the moment and I'm sure it'll continue because the relationship we've got has been great so far. The opening game of the league campaign was one that I think provided a lot of satisfaction for for Hearts fans, um, for me, for, for the players, I think for you. That win over Dundee, now, did you and the coaching staff, did, did you use the events of the summer at least some of the friction that had obviously been generated by that as, as motivation for that, because right from the off, that felt like it felt like a game that meant more than just Hearts playing Dundee. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, we we spoke to like a number of the players had been through the whole, you know, the, the demotion, the issue with Dundee. You know, so that a lot of the players knew about it. The ones coming in, we spoke about it. You know, and not just in the build up to the game, but right at the start of pre-season, we spoke about what had happened, how we had to fight, how we had to make sure that going into every game, we had to be at it and make sure we get the team back up and in the top flight. So, you know, we, we used it massively as motivation and, and throughout the season, you know, there was certain teams that, you know, we knew it was an important game. We knew it was a game that, you know, we, we want to go and win and we want to go and turn them over. We want to have a better turn. Head of next season, I know you've spoken um i think you've mentioned the press about you know first season up target is is top six is that the case and do you have any do you have any aims beyond that is it what you've said before that you will always aim to to go into each cup competition to win it or how how is next season kind of being sized up by by you and maybe Anne at this point when you're you're looking ahead Oh, the, the, again, it goes back to, look, for me, first game of the season, I expect to win it. 
second game of the season, I expect to win it. Third game of the season, I expect to win it. <laughs> you know, so as a manager, you have to your objective. I don't think you can go into the season and go right to the players, right player guys. We've got thirty-eight games. As long as we win twenty games, doesn't matter. The rest of them no bother. But you know, for me, I think you should be going and going right, lads. First game of the season, we want to win it. And it's all about winning the next game, and the next game, and the next game, and then when you get a hit and you lose a game. It's about going on to the next one. We win that, and if you do that, you know you will you will get your objective. Will, in my, nine times out of ten, will be fulfilled. I just I don't believe in going right, lads. We can win. We can win this game, but we don't need to win that one. You know, for me, especially when you're playing at Hearts, and no matter what league you're in, you should be going into the game and going. You know, we expect to go to this ground, and we expect to win. You know, and if the manager believes that, the players will then feed off that and they will believe that if I'm a, as a manager if you get in a game and you go just take a draw here the players can feel it you know when you're in the training ground and you're, you're doing the talk to them they can feel that so I think it's so important as a manager and I've always believed in it you go no we're here to win so if we do that look we've got to understand we are a, a team that's been promoted but I still believe we should be winning every game that we go into and if we do that then I'll be happy to end the season do you have a what you would think or what you've maybe just what you feel or what you've been told? Is there a minimum expectation for next season? No, there's nothing there's been nothing set for us, you know, but I think, you know, I don't like to sit I wouldn't sit here and go, right, this is where we, we want to be. I know in the back of my mind where I want to be. First time we come into pre season, I'll speak to the person and say, This is where I expect us to be. Okay, this is it. This is where I want us to be. And then, you know, it's anything when, you, when you're at a football club, you know, you have to manage all these expectations, you know, whether it be externally, internally, or expectation levels that come together. And it's our job to get us focused on where we expect to be and where we want to be. And then we set a plan for that. We go, right, this is what we need to do to try and get there. And then we, we try and hit that objective. So what are your kind of longer aspirations then? I, you know, obviously next season, you, I understand you don't want to, you don't set too many expectations on that and it, it's first season back up what are your longer term aims with first of all with hearts with what you with your aim for for the team you're currently at and then yourself beyond that my first objective is to get promoted the second objective now is to finish as high up the league as we can which will hopefully get us into europe you know that's the first aim for us you know we want to take hearts in europa league i want to take them into the group stages of europa league i think you know we have the capability as a club to get there. We've been there before. You know, it's quite a bit of aim. We want to win cups. We want to win league cup, which we haven't won for a long, long time. We want to win the Scottish Cup, which we haven't won for a number of years. We were so close to last season. And then we want to keep progressing. We want to start getting the younger ones coming through and being more consistent within the team. And I think it's been a number of years since we've really had like, you know, two, three, four players that have come through and played there. 100 games for Hearts. You know, being a real mainstay within the team. I think when you get back to that, we've got a good group of young ones coming through that, that will need a little bit of time to get there, but I believe they can get there. So there's a lot of a lot of aims for us as a football club. You know, for me, I want to keep winning games. I want to take hearts into Europe. I want to win cups. And I want to stay at hearts for as long as I can. And you know, hopefully we can do that. Couple more questions, Rob, and then we can wrap it up. Um, a lot of hearts fans are excited to see the likes of Finley Pollock. Coming on near the end of the season, 
um, still very, very young, hopefully goes on to do some good things in football. And, and we were talking about this, Laurie and I, on the podcast. It's not about hoping he's a great player. It's just hoping he becomes a player. Um, and you've seen many, many 16-year-olds who maybe get their debut and then fall away. What about the academy as far as identifying other young talents that we can kind of look forward to next season? A chance here for a, a kind of one to watch. Can you identify one or two that we can keep tabs on um, as they play in the youths and, and the reserves next season and, and hopefully down the line play for the first team? What you got coming through? Look, we've got a, we've got a, a number of good ones coming through. I'm, I'm paying to put a name on them, to be honest with you, because I think it puts added pressure on them. But sure, I, I get that. The group that are coming through that that I'm not going to say they'll they'll be mainstays next season, but I think definitely in the following season once we get them out and getting their game time, whether it be on loan or whether it be through the reserve team, that we have to develop them. And you know that's the key for me is you can't throw them in too early and then take them out and they don't play again for six months. They have to be bedded in gradually. So whether it be through a loan deal and then they come back and then they come in. They come out for a couple of weeks, they go back in, they get sub-appearance and you develop them from there. Every every player will have a different pathway coming through. But the main objective for us is to start getting them through and start giving them consistent games to play. And again, it's it's a balance between giving them too much game time and not giving them enough game time. And hence the reason we, we pick these loan clubs for me to go to try and develop them. So... Yeah, look, there's some, some good ones that I really like. There's been a few of them that have, you know, come up trained with the first team regularly that I think have got a real chance. And now it'll just be, first of all, the football players. So they have to have that internal motivation. You know, we can talk and train and give them everything, but they have to want to do it themselves. You know, it's probably the biggest thing. But I think there's a number of them in there that, that have that internal motivation. And then we just try and give them the platform to go and play and hopefully get them in the team. We had Craig Gordon on the show and he was waxing lyrical about Harry Stone. What's your pathway to the kind of first team for, for him? Because he's not going to get a game as long as Craig's fit. So last season you mentioned where he'd been on loan to. Last time it was Albion Rovers. Would it be maybe championship loan next year? Is that the reason why you signed Ross um, on a on a new deal? So that Harry can go out on loan again next season? Yeah, again, look, we, I know I said that I didn't want to speak too much about individuals, but Harry, has uh, his plan is that He's just signed a new contract with us. He has done his time lowland league. He's done league two. He's done very, very well. We think he'll be able to jump league one and go straight into the championship in the summer. So we've already had two teams. One that, that's a firm offer to take him. Um, the other one is very interested. So the plan with him will be he'll go out for the first six months. We'll monitor him. He'll continue to train with us. You know, so he's getting to train with um, Paul Gallagher and, and Craig Gordon and Ross. So he's developing and then we'll assess him again in the January, see where he is, see if, if he's been playing his championship team. If he has, we'll probably keep him there. If he hasn't, then we'll look to shift him to another one. Um, and then the following summer, he'll come back in and he'll compete for the number two, stroke number one position, depending on how he develops. So I think with all these guys, are, you know, they, all, they all have different pathways to get through into the team. You know, They all have kind of ups and downs throughout that as well. You know, it's very, it's easy to say, you know, he'll, you know, this guy, ex-player will be a Hearts first team player in, you know, a year's time or two years time. But they all got them done. Some of them make it quicker. Some of them take an extra year. Some of them never make it at all. 
So our, our job is just to try and help him on that pathway. Andy Irving, I'm led to believe his agents filled his head full of, oh, I can get you playing for Bayern Munich within four or five years and all that nonsense. Is it not in his best interest just to sign a new deal with Hearts, perform well on the pitch, then he can get his move, you'll get money for him, and he'll get weighed in? Exactly. So I'll need to give, get you to give him a phone, Mark. Um, <laughs> I think it's, you know, Andy, a really, really good player, technically very good, brilliant left foot. You know, I think we've offered him a contract. We want him to stay. We think there's still development there. And look, Andy's he's still making his mind up at the moment, as far as I know. So I don't want to say too much on it, but, you know, we would like him to stay with us. But the way football is now, just see what happens. Sure. Final question. I mentioned earlier about us, i.e. all the Hearts fans, not getting to see what happens behind the scenes during the week. Um, just give us a taste of that, if, if you wouldn't mind. How difficult logistically was it last season? And you hope it'll be easier next season. When it comes to training, do you train in separate dressing rooms? Do you need to have two dressing rooms on a, on a match day um, for the home side and two for the away side? Take us behind the scenes and, and into somewhere that Hearts fans can't get and tell me how difficult it was logistically last season. It was, a, it was an absolute nightmare, honestly, a nightmare. So, you know, we... A general training day, the players would arrive in their cars and go straight onto the training pitch at half past ten. They would train and then they would go straight into their cars and leave. So you're missing out on, you know, generally on a, a normal day, the players would come in half eight, nine o'clock. They would do an hour and a half tours. Some would be in the gym, some would be doing prehab, some would be getting treatment. They would then go and train. They would come back in. They would have lunch. They would then go back to the gym or they would go back out and train again in the afternoon in smaller groups. So you missed out that whole, one, training load, but also the interaction you have with the players. Yeah. We came in as a staff that, you know, I've got Gordon Forrest and Lee McCulloch, who, you know, two of them are very hands-on as coaches. They you know, interact with the players well. Their personal skills are really good. So you come in as new coaches and you can't form that. You can't, it's very difficult to form that bond other than the, Hour and a half you have at training, you know, and then so that was really difficult. We had the, the COVID um, testing as well, so we ended up with like two bubbles because we felt we had right initially we started with two bubbles because we were worried that we were going to get a, a positive in one of the bubbles, and then we would, if we had one big bubble, potentially everyone would boot, you know, so mm. two, and then going into games, um, we started off with. Two buses, and then towards the end, we were buses and people travelling in their cars as well to keep the numbers down within the bus. When you go to a game, you know you're using different dressing rooms. At Tynecastle, we had to use we used the, the home dressing room and the away dressing room, and then the players' lounge. So again, the interaction of the players, you would have the majority of the starters would be in the home dressing room, the non-starters and would be in the away dressing room, and a couple of players in the players' room lounge at times. So Again, there was no interaction before the game. You know, generally you would have everyone in together. You know, you'd have that getting everyone going together, everyone you know, encouraging each other, getting that intensity between each other. You know, it was all spread out. So yeah, there was a. I'm really, I'm hopeful that we get back to some sort of normality in the summer because the whole, just the whole season, to be honest with you, was like so. I know guys are back at the house watching it and, and their laptops, but even being there at times, it was so. False, really. I felt that football this whole season, or like last season, has basically just been a business. It's just been keeping things going. 
Yeah, it has. Even the league going because you know, you honestly, you go to the games and we'd go down to the other league game and right, turn up, nobody there. You know, you'd get tested and you come in. Everyone is split up. You've got a COVID officer that keeps everyone apart. You know, you no interaction at all, really with MD. You know, even when you're you're speaking to players, you have to put the mask on. You have to socially distance at times when you're speaking to them. So it's just, it was a, a very very strange year and a very difficult year. And I hope that you know when we get to the summer we can get back to some sort of normality. Because like football was about as a coach and a manager as a player it's about interaction and, and togetherness of the team you know it's one of the reasons we all play you know you guys probably play five sides you don't you don't you don't play five sides to go and run about you won't play five sides for the interaction between each other you know the camaraderie the talking the, the, the winning together when you don't have that it becomes just a business and that's what it was I felt for a year there's no stories of, I mean, Mark DeVries was on. He was talking about Alan Mabry's birthday after they beaten Hibs 5-1. The Hibs taxi driver took him to Alan's house. There was a big party after that. Most of these players that have signed probably haven't even seen Edinburgh, um, the new boys, or, or probably haven't even had a night out because they're not allowed to. That's going to change, and hopefully that'll make things better. What, I, what, what Mark was speaking about there, in Alan's house, what it builds is... It, it, Builds camaraderie, it builds togetherness, it builds a team. I mean, you don't have that. You know, we had boys that, that one guy who joined the club in the summer, came out of train at half ten, went home, sat in his house, got up the next morning, came out of train at half ten, went home, sat in his house, had no no friends here, no family here, nothing at all. Then you're like, it was so difficult for a boy. You know how how that that's not a you know, people say, oh, he's a football player, he's this and he's that, but how, how can you get the best at yourself and someone in mm-hmm. that life, you know? And that's what I like we spoke about earlier, that that's what people don't see at times, you know, that we're bringing these guys in and expect them to perform. And it's like, right, you signed, you've got to perform. When you don't see what's going on in the background with them, you know, and the difficulties that they're having, you know, and the, sometimes we, we, you have to take a step back and go, look, this is this is difficult for them. Let's try and help them. You know, I mean, yeah. taking them out of the team, and people go, "Why? Why are you not playing him?" Because they don't know. You know, but you go. But then, as a manager, you have to protect the player as well. You have to go. Right, you know, let's just just help them out here and try and get things moving forward. Because ultimately, it's about the player. You know, and that might mean lessen, you know, de-strengthening the team at the weekend because you're going. I need help with player. I need to take him out here, and I need to look at the longer term. Can we build them back in again? So, I think there was a lot. More, this happens a lot in football yeah. in general, but I think this year was, was, you know, the most I've ever seen. My twenty, my twenty-five years in the game now, you know. So, hopefully, we can get back to more yeah. normality where we have more interactions with players. And I think today, obviously, the announcement where you know it starts opening up a wee bit will, will definitely help people. Well, there's a few of them that you wouldn't want to play FIFA or Call of Duty against because they've been playing it that long. They're, they're shit hot at it. That's just trying to lighten the, the mood. And, and thank you for, for pointing these things out as well. I was just trying to give fans a, a kind of view behind the scenes because we don't get to see it. And as I say, we probably know maybe 10, 15% of what's happening at the football club. And, and just for you to be able to come on, to give us your time and, and to be open and honest with us. Um, I tell you what, that media train you got at Hearts, there were some tough questions in there from uh, from old Dunsire, but I thought you handled them pretty well. No, thanks, guys. Thanks for giving us the, the time. It was uh, good to have a chat about it. It's been a it's been a, an up and down season, that's for sure. You know, so 
hopefully, you know, get back in the summer and a bit more positivity, a bit more positivity about everywhere, not just in football, but in general. I think it's starting to starting to get there. Yeah. And you can come back on when you sign Alan Campbell and tell us what you're looking forward to seeing from him in a Hearts jersey. <laughs> you need to give us half your salary, mate, so we can afford them. <laughs> Have a good one, pal. All the best. Thank yeah, you. Man, cheers, last cheers Robbie. Cheers, Thank Rob. You. All the best. So that was our interview, our second interview with Hart and Midlothian head coach, Robbie Nielsen. Um, I like how we joked before we did this, Mark. You were like, I'll be, I'll be good cop. You can be bad cop. And that's exactly what you left me with. Was it? <laughs> I'm the one that messages I'm in saying, can you come back on the podcast? So I think there's a chance we'll get him back on to preview the new season of... I thought your your question your line of question was good. I thought his answers were fine as well. I thought they were I thought they were very good. I mean, the bottom line is with this, Rob uh, Robbie, <laughs> what's your name, Laurie? The bottom line is with this: there are fans out there that, no matter what Robbie has just said over the past hour or something, doesn't matter to certain people that they've made their mind up. Fine, no problem. But I just wanted to kind of let you see or let you hear the the kind of. <laughs> There's, there's a more human side of things, and it, it's more about what he had to deal with and everything he had. I'm not an apologist to an extent, but it's there was so much going on in the background. What it wasn't last season on a number of occasions was good enough, and I think he admitted that. I think he acknowledged that. But the one thing I took from that, Laurie, was the importance for Robbie and for the players of having the fans back. Not in a cheer, cheer, cheer all the time, but a frustration kind of way when things aren't going well, that can be a kick up the backside as well because one of the points that he made was looking at players that they want to sign, that they have to be strong. They have to be not physically, but mentally, and they have to want the ball when there's abuse coming down from the stands. He just wants fans back in because he thinks Hearts will be a much better team with full house at Tynecastle, regardless if the fans are cheering or if they're frustrated, because it's a kick up the backside as well as encouragement for the players. And that's something I took from that, that, that Hearts had been missing this season in, in Robbie's eyes. Indeed. So it was good to hear from Robbie Nielsen. And we said this last week when he was coming on, you know, there's there's a balance we have to get. And Robbie's giving up his own time in the evening um, between having to get milkshakes from McDonald's for the kids. <laughs> I think was, <laughs> we were delayed by a few minutes as he was um, off off doing just that. Well, he's so, been dad, wasn't he? Indeed. So we, we, we realise that and we obviously appreciate his time. And you're, you're right, Mark. Some people will never be um, will never be convinced. And I think I said that to him during, during the questioning that you know, you're never going to get all fans on board. And we were open with him before he came on off, off air as well that, look, we've been very critical of you, by the way. We were part of the the movement that said <laughs> that you're maybe not the right man for the job. So he knows that there's been criticism from from lots of angles and a lot of it's been justified. So I, th- I think it was interesting to, to chat to him. And um, I, I am, I'm looking forward to next season and I think um, it will be good to see what happens. But um, I, and I, I'm very hope, I'm, I'm hopeful that things will, will, will work. But um, it's always in the back of your mind, isn't it? That, it's it's it, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough if Hearts start slowly or 
if they they hit a really tricky patch, um, you know, in the early stages of the first half of the season, it's going to be a big challenge. But you know, one thing you you can't say about Robbie Nielsen is he's he's not up for that kind of challenge. That he's not up for that that pressure. I think he's very clear about that. I mean, no one more desperate, no one more desperate to to be successful um, with Hearts next season than him. He's well aware. I mean, it was interesting that he says he doesn't do social media or whatever the the things are called that his kids use. And I, I believe, I mean, you'll look from time to time. I think everyone does. But the, the bottom line is, why would you go looking for something that you're probably not wanting to, to see or to hear? He'll be well aware of, of the fans' feelings. And I think the time between the end of this season and I know there's still the Scottish Cup final and the Premiership are still playing, we are done. I think the time that the Premiership gets up and running again or the Betfred League Cup ties get up and running again, I think for everybody, not just for Robbie and the players and the coaching staff, for the fans as well, obviously we're getting some fans now in attendance at Hamden for the, the Scottish Cup final. That hopefully sets a precedent. Hopefully our game's that we begin the season with in the League Cup at Tynecastle, we'll have fans in attendance as well. When that comes round, it'll have been since February 2020 that fans hadn't been there. There will be that kind of, just just let me get back. And he's got to start well. I, I don't think he's, uh, I, I don't think he, he's not aware of that, but it, it will be his team, far more to an extent, with the new boys that are going to come in. So there will be no excuses. And it's not a case of, look, when the first defeat happens, because as he was saying, an old coach at a training session uh, or uh, when he was doing his badges said to him, look, you're going to win a third, you're going to lose a third. It's what you do with the other third of the games. That's fine. So that first defeat is going to happen and it's how he deals with it. It's the manner of the defeat as well. That's crucial because I thought in the defeats and the games that we didn't win this season, not necessarily when we lost, but just games that we were poor. I thought the manner at times was was poor. So it's about that, but it's a fresh start. It's against teams that we haven't played for a while, the majority of them. And I'm certainly going to go into the season um, with optimism. Um, and I know you tried to, to get the to get Robbie to comment on him making the, the statement about, yeah, we want a top six finish. He'll want more than that. He want more than that, but everything that he answered to your question or to my question, I thought was he's done his he's done his homework. He's been well trained as far as the media is concerned. There's very little there that you could kind of use to say, "Oh, but you said." Apart from Harry Stone, he didn't mention any of the younger players. Doesn't want to put too much pressure on them. Didn't set specific targets. Didn't say when we said, "Is it going to be more or less than seven players already at the club that are going to start?" A, he doesn't know, but B, you can go back and say, "But you said." So he's been smart with that. And hopefully by the, the start of next season, when the fixtures come out, hopefully we can look at them and say, that's not a bad start on paper. Yeah, let's hope it's a decent start on grass. And if it is, there'll still be those that aren't happy. Fine, no problem about that whatsoever. But he might get more on board. And if he can get the majority on board, as far as the team is concerned, and we start the season well, then unity of, of supporters is going to be it's going to be crucial. And when I say unity, I don't mean 100%. I just mean the majority to begin with. Almost, then we can work on, on raising the percentage. Almost, almost unified. I think that was one of our podcast titles. Yeah. Um, Are you looking forward to the new season? I am. It just uh, apart from anything, it, just to have some fans back would be yeah, great. 100%. Um, even for someone who's been going to the games, it's just 
it, it's just soulless without people being there. So even if it's you know a quarter full, it won't be full. Tynecastle, I don't believe at the start of the season, but all things being well, you get the impression that there will be a decent portion of fans in it. I think that will be great. Just to you know to be August time, well July time, I suppose with the cups, and then into August, maybe the sun will be shining, some fans back at Tynecastle. I think that will be superb. Um, so I'm looking forward to that, and um, and hopefully Hearts can perform on the park. Um, thank you for tuning in. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Around the Funnel. You can get in touch with us via Twitter, or you can email us podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk. We'll be back next week at some point with some other show. Um, no games to talk about, of course, but we'll find something to to fill the time. I'm sure. Uh, until then, thank you for tuning in, and yeah, we'll see you next time. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? When you were eight and you had bad treats, you go to school and learn the golden rule. So why are you acting like a bloody fool? If you get hot, then you must get cool. Bad boys, bad boys, what you gonna do? mother and you chuck it on your father you chuck it on your brother and you chuck it on your sister you chuck it on that one and you chuck it on me bad boys bad boys what you gonna do what you gonna do when they come for you bad boys bad boys what you gonna do what you gonna do when they come for you bad boys bad boys what you gonna do what you gonna do when they come for you bad boys bad boys what you gonna do what you gonna do when they come for no break. Police now give you no break. That old soldier man I give you no break. Not even your eyes now give you no breaks. Hey, hey. Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when they come for you? Bad boys, bad boys.